this episode, we are joined by Miriam Holtzman, founder and operations manager of the online newspaper Devar. Thanks for joining me, Miriam. How are you dealing with the current situation personally? Well, I live in Kibbutz Ashbal, which is a very tight-knit community, part of the Israel movement. And it's actually a blessing in a time like this to be part of something uh, tight and caring. So actually not doing too bad. That's great to hear. There's kids to be handled, but, you know, we manage. I want to start with a bit of history. Devar was the name of the printed newspaper that was the official publication of the Histadrut, which is the Israeli Labour Federation, from 1925 all the way until 1996. And for a good chunk of that time, had a bigger circulation than all the other Hebrew dailies combined. This could be a subject of a whole episode in itself, can you tell us a bit about the Histadrut itself, a bit of history and what its role is in Israel today? The Histadrut, when it was founded, was always a part of a wider thing. It wasn't just a union. It was a social movement that is, was part of the Zionist ideal of establishing here a moral center for the Jewish people and also a moral society for everyone that is living here. And as such, from the beginning, it didn't just deal with protecting workers' rights. It was uh, busy dealing with all these different social issues and taking care of all these different fragments of society way beyond just workers. Uh, and that's how it turned out to have something like a newspaper, like the Val. Today, it is still, to a large extent, that social movement it has 800,000 people, and it's one of the only unions worldwide that is actually growing. It grows by 2% a year. It still deals with social issues. For example, one of its biggest campaigns in the previous years was dealing with taking on non-regular workers as regular employees that have proper rights, and they are also unionized. Well, hold on. What are, what are non-regular workers? Temporary workers. You've got all these different names. Some places it's part of the gig economy. Some places the workers are employed through a third uh, party that basically doesn't give them the full rights. And they work what we call shoulder to shoulder with other workers that are unionized and have proper rights. Mm -hmm. It's a huge issue that the Histadur fought for, that these people will be accepted as normal workers with uh, the same rights like their fellow workers that might be working next door to them in an office next door to them. Another massive social uh, protest uh, that Hisabu was involved in was with the whole issue of demanding a rise in disability benefits, which is something that with current political reality is in a standstill, but still workers and strong unions took upon themselves to be involved with that. So you can see, oh, another one is when there's a lot of issues with safety measurements in the construction industry. And it's uh, something that is a huge issue because the people who work there are, come from marginal, marginalized communities. So you've got all these issues that the Hisadut seemingly doesn't need to fight for because it's not necessarily unionized workers. But they get involved because this is part of the legacy of the Histadut. It takes care of Israeli society. Histadut today is growing not just in numbers. It's growing in whole new sectors of workers that you usually don't think about as unionized workers. High-tech 
a cellular industry, telecom communicate, all these different industries, you wouldn't expect necessarily a union and not and let alone a strong union. This is part of the reason why the Hisarud is growing because it learned how to approach and handle and present workers from new sectors. Okay, thanks for that explanation. Let's move on. In 2016, you restarted Davar online in Hebrew. The founder of the original Davar, Bill Katanelson, envisioned Davar as an informative and educational newspaper, which aspired to quench the workers' thirst for knowledge and thought. Why restart Davar? Why now? And how are you fulfilling this legacy? Well, you know, another lovely thing that Bill said was that it's not just for the workers, it's by the workers, about the Val. You need to understand that this is one of the few newspapers that isn't headed or isn't owned, sorry, by people with a lot of money. Now, in Israel, it's become pretty obvious the connection, we call it in Hebrew, the connection between a large amount of money and uh, government and newspapers. And this is a newspaper that is owned by 800,000 workers who pay a monthly sum of money, and part of it goes to have a newspaper. And we see ourselves as their representer, someone who needs to represent who they are and what they can do and what what they're struggling and what they're worried about. A lot of people write to, a lot of newspapers write to people as consumers. They might deal with um, personal issues, but they do it from the perspective of of a consumer. They don't talk about your rights as workers, what your union can do for you, what your local local union can do for you. It's a a different uh, perspective to write news in. I think it creates communities. It makes a union into something more something where you can read about what you're going through, you can write about what you're going through, you can hear other people's opinions about what you are going through. So I think that's something that is very important. And I think we also give a lot of space to things that usually would not get any headlines in any other newspaper. We have a role both in Israeli society and inside the Histadrut to raise awareness and to bring different voices and different perspectives that are not often heard in mainstream uh, media. Mm -hmm. And why now? It's 20 years since it ground to a halt. The assumption was is that there was no audience for the sort of stuff that you're talking about. I'm wondering why now. Listen, it starts with the whole um, growth process in the Istadot itself. Mm Mm-hmm. In a slow process in the history, I think. I don't know. Maybe the stars aligned well. I don't know. At the end of the day, it's part of rebirth or this new growth inside the, the Istadrut. Mm-hmm. But also in terms of the, the readership, are there things that you are writing about that people living in Israel or outside of Israel in sort of 21st century capitalist dystopia? Are you answering a need? Yeah, basically the fact that we write from a perspective that sees sees human beings and not objects to be maneuvered, manipulated, utilized. You see, it's a different perspective. How you look at people, how you look at society, how you look at workers that are struggling, which you assume 
society should be aiming toward. These are voices that aren't just liberal, they're progressive. Listen, it's very clear that when it's like in 2011 uh, in Israel or Occupy, uh, Occupy Wall Street, and such. It's uh, it's very clear people are starting to understand that there's, uh, we called it in a recent article, the sham of neoliberalism. It just doesn't work. You look at the American dream and it's like a treadmill. If I run fast enough, if I do everything right, if I do exactly as I'm supposed to, I'm, I'm going to get the American dream. I'm going to have everything I want. But it doesn't really work like that. And people are so busy on the treadmill, they don't have time to look around and say, hey, it's not really working, it's a myth. 2008, in Israel 2011, you can see a lot of uh, things leading up to it, but people are starting to realize that the system isn't working for them. And they're starting to look at different options of understanding reality. And I think this is where we come in. It's not a matter of information or fact-checking. Because we have to do all of that. It's it's an ethical responsibility. But it's a matter of how you connect the dots into a line that says something about our reality. Something basic that needs to change in the way society works. And I think our place is to highlight that. And I think there's a need for that because people are starting to realize that it's not working for them. And this year you began Devar in English with the slogan, Workers, Society and Economy in Israel. What is the English language audience for your content? Who reads it? What do you want to say to them? Actually, we're aiming at two main audiences. Uh, One is unions and social activists around the world. And the second one was English-speaking Jews around the world. Because, you know, Israel was once more than just the Kotel in Jerusalem or Metzada. It wasn't just about our history. We created here something which is also high-tech. Jews from around the world who had a progressive uh, world views or ideals, knew that in Israel there's kibbutzim, and there's Estadot, and there's this whole stream of all these unbelievable creations. It got forgotten. Like these whole issues, these whole progressive constructions that were created in society was something that became uh, something that no one pays any attention to. And it happened because of, uh, first of Israel is defined today by, by what is happening on its borders with occupation and wars and such. And not a lot of emphasis is is put on what goes on inside Israeli society, what goes on the social struggles, social tensions, the activists, the unions. It's not known. It used to be like a kind of a beacon, Israel, for progressive values. It still can be. There are amazing things on Israeli society and I think on the long run they can they can help everything that has to do with Israel its neighbors but no one talks about it and if usually if you read something about it in the, in the newspapers it's usually very critical and we wanted to show different things good struggles and good achievements that are done there are pretty impressive uh, struggles and also achievements in creating solidarity and mutual commitment and caring and responsibility inside Israeli society. Very surprising new audience, which we never thought of, is foreign workers who work in Israel from the Philippines, 
they are interested in the content we have to bring, that perspective, understanding Israeli society through things we write. Just so that's an unexpected audience, but it's, uh, it's lovely. So all these social structures that I mentioned, you know, they faced a lot of challenges, but the revival in them is huge. The dialogue that that kind of revival can create, I think is important and shouldn't be overlooked. What sort of dialogue? What do you mean? Between Jews around the world and Jews in Israel, between unions around the world and unions in Israel, between social activists around the world and social activists in Israel. It's a dialogue. Look at what we're doing. Look at what we're doing. What can we learn from each other? How can I find inspiration, connection, mutual? Mm-hmm. There seems to be an element of throwing out the baby with the bathwater in terms of not being able to see anything positive in Israel at all. Nothing I'm going to say is going to change someone who is really not willing to even look inside Israel. It's a life experience. Come and learn. Come and see. It's like people are willing to come and learn if they read the vow, they will see different forces in action. They'll see something more complex, I think, than right and left, religious and non-religious, Mizrahi and Sfarad and Ashkenazi. They'll see something more complex. And if you read enough pieces, you listen, if you're not willing to, if you see Israel and all you can think is uh, is evil, then you're not going to be interested in reading the book. But if you want something more complex in your life and you want to understand in a more complex way about things you don't usually hear about, teachers going on strike or a union that has a union unionized everyone that is working in a certain place. So you have Arabs and Jews and, and religious and secular and LGBT members. You've got everything inside the union. That's why I'm, I think I'm gradually, the more and more I'm reading about it, the more and more I'm writing about it, I'm falling in love with the concept because it basically teaches solidarity in such a lovely, unbelievable, powerful way. Because the union committee in Klal Insurance had to deal with the fact that there were LGBT uh, members. And what do you do when you bring, when you've got a vacation abroad and you, you can bring your partner? Uh-huh. And suddenly the partner isn't, and suddenly there's a religious family and an LGBT couple. Mm-hmm. Who's defined as your children in these this time and age, you know? And the workers' committee has had to deal with all these things. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing. And writing about this and bringing these different perspectives, the fact that it actually happens is something that gives me a lot of hope. One of my favorite, and it's from September, when we just went on, on air for, for the first time, we took on writing about the silent revolution, the little-known revolution inside the corridors of Israeli hospitals. It's what I told you about the temporary low-paid workers hired through contractors, mm-hmm. Jews and Arabs, and, and usually they're women, and it's always marginalized, uh, as I said, low-paid workers. The whole process of turning them into uh, regular, and usually unionized employees in Israel's hospitals, it was unbelievable. And people don't understand that this is a revolution because when the cleaner in the hospital, which is usually either Arab or religious, like as an ultra-religious mm-hmm. woman who has a lot of children to feed and got a lot of things going against her, gets to the place where she has a place to eat her meal that is not on the stairs in the corridor 
a known amount of time that is time off by law. Right. She, do, she doesn't get fired every eight months, so she doesn't get like paid more because she's, she's getting to be a regular worker. There's laws that these contractors bringing that, the fact that there's this kind of right about it. It's, it's not sexy, but it's unbelievable. It's a revolution. Understanding what was wrong with the previous system and how the Yisadot and unions can make it better. So it's basically a combination or the sort of the sum of lots and lots and lots and lots of tiny little battles in each and every workplace that is basically fighting for the, as you say, for the marginalized, for their rights and basically the union. And that's what it's about. Yeah, but it's also about solidarity because people talk about the strong unions force in Israel. These people talk about how the unions have too much force and they can control so many things. These are the same unions who will go for the people who can't go on strike because they're too, they don't have enough uh, representation. Creating awareness different unions about what happens with other places. It's, a, it's an important important part of what the Val in Hebrew is trying to do. And I think the Val in English is trying to, to create an understanding from people outside Israel, this is going on. Yeah, the Val in Hebrew has a role in creating that understanding inside these different unions, these different communities of workers, if you'd like. And in English, I think it's creating a more complex understanding about what What's going on in Israel? Let's move on to the current corona pandemic. You've come to the understanding that your work right now during the crisis is more important than ever. Why is that? I think this crisis really highlights the fact that there's basically two attitudes. One thinks that a country, a government is responsible for its citizens, even if they're poor, even if they're old, even if they're weak. And the other thing that it's supposed to be survival of the fittest. It's not too bad if people that die are old or poor or weak, as long as I can pay for my parents not to die. These two approaches are pretty in your face. I read things uh, that some people say, and they're really they're on the verge of uh, social Darwinism, if not cross the verge. It's really what, is, what, is, what it's all about, what kind of society we want to have here. And suddenly when you're stuck at home and you never expected to be laid to take unpaid leave or fired, maybe I'm not the only one here that's, that it's not good for them. And maybe it's not just people who made all these bad choices in their lives and maybe there's something not okay with the way the system is working. Either we work together and everyone is taken care of and there's solidarity, which allows people to not go to work because they know they will not starve to death so they can stay at home and keep social distancing. Or I'm going to hire security companies to come and make sure no one steals from the supermarkets. Now, these are two approaches. Mm -hmm. I think this is something that is uh, really highlighted in a time like this. When you're stuck at home and you uh, maybe just got fired or you're on unpaid leave and your kids don't have school and their teachers aren't supposed to teach you online because they don't get paid for it and uh, no one's talking about cutting salary for uh, members of parliament or for people working in the treasury, but they are asking the 
teachers who are making have way less fat to lose economically speaking they're making them they're asking them to work for free the unionized uh, workers uh, fought back and won and really highlights our role and the role of of workers and of unions in Israel and in the world i think we interviewed uh, professor eva luz and she called it the sham of neoliberalism i think this is why also why we we're getting such positive responses to what we're writing because we're highlighting that this is the choice and what are the practical and ethical challenges of providing online content these days from fake news to running an editorial team during lockdown so the lovely aspect of what i do is that all i need to do all i need to have for it is a decent computer and proper wifi uh, as you can see the proper wifi is a bit of a challenge infrastructure in my rural kibbutz is not is not great but it's doable we're publishing way more uh, items than we usually do uh, which is challenging especially because uh, my kids don't have school or any kind of system to keep them and uh, my partner is uh, likewise uh, busy basically everyone is really committed and working very hard Um, we really feel that it's a crucial time to bring our perspective into the world. So you got this lovely uh, cooperation with the international department in the Histadrut and Peter Lerner, who heads it. We're getting feedback from uh, other unions, getting uh, comments from uh, readers from unions across the world. Uh, so we feel that we're really managing to get to people. and to inspire and create some kind of of dialogue you have to realize that in english the english edition is more like it's not we 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 we're not interested in bringing information we're trying to put um to create something that doesn't just overwhelm you with bits and pieces but actually gives you a story that is creates wide understanding and and a perspective and a allows you to have some kind of thought process in it time like this when everything is constantly changing and everything is happening now and if you write something and and 2 3 days afterwards everything changes again that's a challenge in a time of crisis like now that's one of the major challenges we're facing but what you're saying there is is because of how you work in english that's not the case is that even though the fast paced reality is changing you're still printing things that have lasting yeah but it's still a challenge because although we're trying something with wider perspectives it's still things are changing all the time it's not a slow developing story it's something that's going on now so that puts us in a dilemma between bringing in things that are deeper and uh, and more and wider and bring things that are quick and usually we're trying to bring things that are create wider understanding thank you so so much for joining me 